Hello and welcome. My name is Joe O'Mara. I'm the Head of Aviation Finance with KPMG. On behalf of KPMG and Ireland Economics, I'm delighted to be joined today by Ted O'Byrne. Ted O'Byrne is the CEO of Abbey Lease. Um, Ted, before we get into the meat of our discussion today, do you want to tell our watchers a little bit about you know, the relatively new startup that is Abbey Lease? Sure. Thank you for having me, Joe. I'm very pleased and excited to be here. Uh, so Abbey Lease is a aircraft leasing company. We're based in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. We've launched ourselves in July uh, 2022 uh, at the Farmer Air Show and our <clears throat> goal is to support the development of the Saudi Arabian aviation, commercial aviation uh, industry and to build and scale up this uh, company into a global competitor. And, and Ted, maybe talking to us a little bit around, we've come through a very fractured environment as we know, post-COVID, post-Russia, a lot of financial uncertainty, but can you talk to us a little bit around you know, the opportunities you guys see in the market? Um, you've obviously executed some initial deals. You might talk to us a little bit about those and also just where you see the big opportunities coming for Avilise. Sure. As I said, we have been set up really to focus primarily and initially in our in the uh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabian market. Um, we're owned 100% by the PIF, the Public Investment Fund, which is uh, Saudi Arabia's uh, sovereign wealth fund. They, they have about $620 billion on the management. <coughs> and that you know, makes us uh, quite uh, uh, long-term and industrial investor in the space. Right? We look at this as uh, investment in the space as um, a long-term um, you know, uh, driver of growth for the country in general, be it for local airlines, but also to build a local uh, financial services industry and train uh, uh, local Saudis, etc. So our perspective is quite different from uh, other uh, um, uh, players in the industry and we really take that industrial uh, target and, and mandate at heart and, and, and this is how we're looking at developing the company and also also our investments. So concretely, what does that mean? Number one, we're spending a lot of time building the structure of the company, right? So we're, we're really investing in people, Saudis, young talents, also uh, a lot of international experts to bring them together and build a really strong team. Uh, systems, we're investing in uh, what's best in class in the industry today. Governance, obviously we have uh, a full governance suite and, and relatively robust uh, controls there. And then obviously policies and procedures. So what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, before sort of running into the market, we're really laying the foundations of what we think will be a very impactful company over the years. Right? And I'm taking the time to do that. I'm investing a lot of time myself in hiring the right people, choosing the right systems, et cetera. Now, <coughs> to come to your, to your question, um, what does that mean in terms of opportunity? Well, obviously the Saudi market is a market which is expected to about triple over the next 10 years, right? So it's about 100 million packs uh, are coming in and out of uh, Saudi Arabia in 2019. The expectation is by the end of this decade, this will reach over 300 million passengers, right? So the first opportunity is really to grab uh, uh, you know, a portion of the market there to support the airlines, uh, to finance their backlog, to deliver incremental uh, uh, you know, uh, slots to, to airlines, and really to sort of accompany, if you will, 
the growth of this country over, over the next few years. But we have a very robust and large investor behind us. And that means that we have a quite a bit of capital available, uh, which means that you know, the opportunities that we see out there are frankly quite at attractive right now. Uh, and we are capable of deploying capital in large uh, amounts on uh, a number of you know, frankly fragmented uh, opportunities, um, uh, domestically, but also uh, globally. And, and thinking on those opportunities, do you see those falling into a sale and leaseback market? Do you see it potential opportunistic M&A, order books, or maybe challenge to get in on one, but, but your thoughts around how, or, or are you kind of agnostic as to how you scale as long as it fits with kind of your wider purpose and strategic vision? Yeah, so we're, we're uh, relatively agnostic as to how we scale. Um, and I say relatively, uh, I'll explain to you why in a minute. Clearly, we're following the usual, usual playbook in deploying capital in the industry. So on the primary channels, uh, you, know, you obviously have sell and leasebacks. That's the easiest to do. We've already committed to 32 aircraft. We took delivery of our first couple of aircraft from uh, FlyNAS. That's you know, a tried and tested uh, way of deploying capital, certainty, long cash flow associated that works, and that everybody understands that. The second phase after that is probably uh, having access to OEM slots, right? And those are probably, that's a relatively complex discussion now because of the delivery stream of OEMs, of, of, of course, the supply chain issues that we're seeing um, and which are frankly, you know, gonna take a long time to resolve, but that's clearly part of the playbook. Short term, medium term, long term, I don't know, but, but clearly part of the playbook. Then you know there is the secondary markets around the trading, and we are clearly already uh, looking at uh, um, a number of opportunities. We already priced up in our first six months about 400 aircraft uh, deals, really to build the muscle memory to make sure that our systems, our models, our teams, uh, you know, uh, follow the process, and we are consistent in our underwriting methodologies, and we're spending quite a bit of time making sure that we, we sort of dry run this, right? Now, that trading market has been challenging for a number of reasons. Uh, we'll come, we can come back in, into that in a minute, but we clearly see this as a way for us to deploy our capital over the next uh, probably year. We'll see some trades happening where we buy aircraft. We also sell aircraft into the trading market, and we can talk, talk about that in a, in a few moments. And then the last way of deploying capital is obviously M&A, right? So uh, we're, you know, scanning the market. We're very uh, clearly um, interested in the opportunities, and there are some opportunities, as everybody knows in the industry. Um, but I will say that uh, that we are uh, very cautious on the M&A side because I don't want to inherit other people's problems, right? Uh, I want to build a a really top-tier leasing company with the best in-class systems. Uh, we have a very disciplined investment approach which we're building. I don't want to end up with a portfolio of hodgepodge things which frankly will get us into trouble in a few years time. So we're very conscious of that. Uh, we want to buy not only the best assets but also the best teams and best systems. So M&A can be a fast accelerator for but it can also bring a lot of uh, 
issues with it, which uh, take time to manage, right? Yeah, and we might come back to that macro leasing environment in a moment. Um, as you say, you come to this with a clean balance sheet and a lot of firepower, right? But as you assess, you know, we've come out of COVID, very strong recovery that we're seeing now spread, right? Restrictions fall away, demand surges, and that's been great to see. But we have a lot of uncertainty in the macro, in economic and probably geopolitical environment. And as you look at that space, whether it's interest rates, oil prices, inflation, uh, US dollar challenges for the airline industry, what concerns you most when you look at kind of the macro environment? So I think the, 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 the biggest headwind for our industry is the short-term spike in interest rate, right? I think it's not so much the, um, the absolute level of the interest rate, it's the, the, f the, the speed of, of, uh, of increase. And I think that has caught a number of people off guard that has created some tension around the you know, financial markets, obviously, and the lack of issuances, both on the ABS market, but also on the unsecured side, is testimony to that, right? Um, but that the, the underlying issue there is that if you think about it, we invest in fixed bonds, right? And we're now in an environment where all the business that was underwritten in the last, call it three years, are, is very difficult to shift. So the impact of that is that creates you know, profitability in the short term, potentially liquidity concerns for a number of uh, players in the industry, which just can't shift that metal, right? So if you, you think about an industry which relies on trading as an avenue of, of uh, funding, right, uh, their balance sheet, if you cannot trade a portion of your balance sheet, then that creates some serious concerns, not so much in the short term, but over a longer period of time. So I think that's something to watch which I am conscious of. I think at a more macro level, obviously, you know, this has been talked about many, many times, um, the divergence uh, in potential geopolitical between uh, uh, China and the US and, and how the rest of the world positions itself uh, in that regard is, is gonna be a very interesting thing. I think it, it will create uh, a number of opportunities, and we're seeing that today. We're seeing a number of, uh, you know, uh, U.S. listed, U.S. listed, or um, you know, uh, rated uh, invest uh, in rated lessors looking at you know selling down some of their uh, Chinese metal, and conversely, we're seeing some of the Chinese uh, uh, lessors selling down some of their non-Chinese positions. So there's a bit of a shift going on, which obviously creates opportunities. Um, I think the bigger question there lies into what is the China's sourcing policy over the long term and how does that uh, uh, impact the OEMs and particularly Boeing, right? So question mark there, it's something interesting to watch. I think the airlines themselves would answer very clearly that they need the capacity, right? And frankly, the industry should say, let's make sure that we keep buying from A and B, right? And that, uh, uh, there's no uh, you know, single source uh, happening in, in, in a particular country. Uh, but that's, that shift is happening now and is going to create opportunities for, for us, we believe very strongly. Um, so, and then I think the longer, uh, the longer term discussion is around um, you know, how do we tackle the environmental pressures that we're seeing, right? And how does the industry respond to this? Uh, because I don't think we have quite, you know, 
uh, found the, the, the right uh, response so far. And you know, I'd be interested in your views. Yeah. In that and I might come back to the environment in a second. To pick up on a couple of points you mentioned there, Ted, which is, is probably the, the interest rate environment and the impact it's having from a lease rate factor perspective, right? So obviously you're new to have a lease, but you're in the sector for decades, right? Your, your perspective on, there's always been a lag, right? You, interest rates go up, and as you say, we've never, in my lifetime, seen them shoot up so quickly, probably, right? Um, but just your thoughts on how that's feeding into pricing at this stage. Um, uh, clearly it should, but, but, but the, the scale and pace at which it will. And then just elaborating on the trading market, as you say, it seems to be a bit of a dysfunctional market at the moment. OEM delays causing problems. As you say, a potential you know, distress might be backlogging things. Can you talk to us on that pricing and just your take on the overall trading environment? Yeah, it's an interesting time because, as you say, there's the speed, as we discussed earlier, the speed of movement of the interest rate has, has sort of has shocked, frankly, uh, the business. And, and a lot of people have a, have, have a hard time readjusting their, their mindset to, okay, you know, we really should be pricing a deal with 10 basis points more lease rate factor than a year ago, effectively, right? And that has clearly not happened totally, completely yet. I think uh, part of this lag is um, really driven by a number of investors that have capital allocated and are as servicers or manager of that capital have frankly some incentives to deploy capital there and they're going to do it, I wouldn't say no matter what, but they will push capital out the door, uh, which still creates pressure uh, on some really top level names, uh, which, which you know, let them have it kind of thing, right? We're, we're not, you know, we're not uh, keen on, on competing and moving the market. We really want to stay very disciplined in our approach. Um, so I think there is a lag time. I think that uh, that was obviously contributed by the lack of deliveries. So that pressured yields, uh, as we know, uh, which is starting to uh, change back to a, you know, a more normal uh, delivery of, of aircraft probably not uh, yet, but over the next couple of years. So I think the combination of you know, that capital flowing away, probably not returning anytime soon in my view. Secondly, the increase of redeliveries, we'll see yields, uh, spreads, if you will, re-increasing in our business over the next couple of years. I'm very confident that that, that is bound to happen in, in, our, in our business. Otherwise, frankly, the risk reward don't can't be justified. It's not logical. And then yeah. and moving on to the trading side, as you said, we've probably seen some of the larger players hold aircraft longer than they planned because of the OEM delays. Would you view the trading environment as it currently stands as in, in a little bit dysfunctional? And if so, how do you see that unpacking? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think, yes, so, so a lot of the larger players had CapEx programs, which are obviously not achieved, right? And if you, if your business is built on growth, well, you're not going to sell, right, uh, some of the aircraft uh, that you have on, on, your, on your books simply because you're not acquiring enough, right? So there's, um, you know, lack of, of, of uh, supply of trades. There's been some lack of demand of trading also driven by the lack of financing, right? It's, it's not the lack of equity, but the lack of financing has really been, uh, as, as li has been the, the key driver there. A, some of the markets are closed, uh, remain closed for the better part of the year. B, the, the cost of, of, uh, of, uh, 
of those financing is such that the actual LTVs have to compress, right? So it's, what's very interesting, not only the interest cost has gone up, the swaps and the spreads have gone up, right? But also the interest servicing is putting you know, the DSTR in such a way that you basically have to reduce your, your attachment point, right? So not only you're paying a higher amount for your, interest, for, your, for your interest expense, but on top of it, you cannot borrow as much. So it's so a double whammy there, which is really compressing a lot of people's economics, right? Uh, we're frankly very fortunate in the sense that we we don't need financing if we don't need to, right? We we don't have to go uh, seek financing if if we don't want to, right? So we're we're in a quite unique position that a our balance sheet is completely clean, right? And we we have a really an opportunity to acquire the best portfolio possible right now from from an asset and credit standpoint. And from a financing standpoint, frankly, we have the firepower to do the deals on leverage. And I think firepower becomes more important in that type of environment. Can I get your thoughts around the importance of scale? Scale has always mattered, right? Is there a chance that it matters more now and that scale is bigger than it was, right? So if you're not an IG rated lessor or if you don't have really strong backing from your parent, um, are you just competing in niche asset classes and in niche ways? So just whether you think there has been a shift um, on the importance of scale for leasing groups. Yeah, so look, clearly scale matters in our business. You know, uh, you know people will have different views there, but uh, we clearly uh, see a threshold uh, for on, on the cost side, you know, um, you know, starting with your interest expense line, you know, Traditionally, there's been about 100 basis points difference between sort of uh, secured borrowing and unsecured borrowing. So that's that's worth quite a bit of money on the, on the multi-billion dollar balance sheet. Um, it's not only about the interest expense line; it's also about the amort profile. Uh, so if you um, if you go borrow on the uh, unsecured market, you borrow effectively based on on the leverage on your book, right? So long as your book grows. So long as your book grows, your uh, amortization profile is much lower than uh, you know if you go borrow on a secured basis and have to pay say seven percent amort on a yearly basis, right? So, so there's a double effect of lower e interest expense and 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 lower amortization, which sort of drawn has drawn basically the entire industry at the top tier, say, uh, to this IG uh, you know uh, unsecured bond uh, issuance. Now, I will say that I don't think it's a good idea to be to put all your eggs in the same basket. And that's certainly not something that uh, uh, we are um, keen to do. Uh, in other words, I think it's very important to have access to different uh, types of financing which come handy at different times. So, you know, uh, as I said, the... the the capital markets, the U.S. capital markets have been closed. Our strategy will clearly include having access to the U.S. capital markets, but also access to banks, ECA financing, terminal and B markets, and other sorts of maybe sukuks and other sorts of financing in the industry, wi which allows us to have that diversification on our liability side. And that's clearly something that I'm very, very focused on because I do not want to have one single financing uh, a source. I think that's very dangerous. Now, there are other effects around uh, scale, such as access to the markets, no, you know, information power, uh, which I think 
uh, once you get to sort of, you know, probably the top five, top ten maybe in the industry, you're sort of there, right? Uh, you buy, you know, relatively well. You have kind of the same access to information. So I think you don't need to be uh, $75 billion to, to, to have that scale. There's, there's that effect that starts to build in you know, much earlier than this, to be honest. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think if you're a 100 or 150 aircraft lessor, suddenly you might be shy, right? So it's kind of interesting to see, I'd say, that pocket of the market and how that develops. Um, can I ask you a more macro question around leasing? We have seen, you look at the long-term trend of percentage of leased aircraft, it only goes one way, right? Um, and turn of the century, we're probably 25%. COVID's kicked it on, right? And we're now clearly over the 50% threshold. Uh, obviously, you talk to some lessors and they'll tell you, we're going to 60, we're going beyond. Your thoughts on the sustainability of that 50% level as aircraft balance, as airline balance sheets maybe recover a bit, or do you just think it's a case of this flexibility of finance, the deepening of relationships with lessors and airlines effectively means that trend line of ticking upwards will continue? I think that, first of all, airlines, you know, uh, as you know, uh, use us for financing purposes, but also for insurance purposes. What I mean by that is by residual value insurance purposes, right? Um, in the world where um, the asset side is a lot more stable, the impetus for de-risking your, um, your, your, your asset uh, uh, residual values is probably not as strong. Right. What I mean by that is, well, we effectively entered in a time where we have four new generation aircraft which are going to make 80% of the capex for the, f for, the, for the years to come. 320s, uh, 737 MAX, 787, 8350s, and then you know, below that you have A220s, 787s, A330s. But the four top are going to probably make 80% of the capex, right? Those types are not going anywhere anytime soon. We're, we're in this for the next 10 years at least, right? So the residual value side of the equation is not as strong for an airline. Um, but obviously, airlines balance sheets have been stressed. And so I think right now, uh, at least until uh, that, those, those airlines balance sheets are cleaned, uh, are more stable, we'll see a lot more uh, leasing than, than otherwise. Very clearly. And, and can I ask you on the OEM side, um, which you touched on, whether or not that's something you might look at, do you think there has been a shift post-COVID in the relationship between OEMs and lessors? They have become, you would say, strategically more important. Um, I've heard gripes doing these interviews over the years uh, from lessors who did not feel they got the respect they should have, right, from the OEMs. Y your thoughts on that relationship and is it evolving? Look, I think that we are a distribution channel to the OEMs, right? And so long as they manage that channel properly, um, that that relationship should be thought about as a, as a distribution channel. So what does that mean? That means that they need to look at us uh, having earlier slots than they would otherwise have in their own industrial process and look at us as partners, not competitors to them, right? So, A, OEMs on um, both sides need to have a more rational approach to how many uh, leasing companies they do business with um, and uh, how they involve them in strategic campaigns, et cetera, right? 
Uh, I think we've seen some excesses on both sides, uh, but we've seen clearly some excesses recently uh, with both more than, call it that 25 to 30% max going to the distribution channel, uh, but also more fragmented. So you had a lot more players placing uh, the same aircraft at the same time. And let's face it, we're a commodity business, right? So, you know, I'm not going to be more, uh, you know, I, I, it doesn't make sense to have five different nest stores for the same slots, right? I think it, it serves the OEMs in the short term to lower the, uh, uh, the lease rate factor, but in the long term, they pay for it by saying, well, we need to lower the sale price of the, uh, of, of the aircraft. So I think there has been um, a some some dysfunctional relationship on both sides because lessors need to grow, they need to place orders without really looking too too much what was going on uh, on the side and how many uh, other lessors had placed orders. We know, right? We if you do your due diligence, you know how many other lessors are in the business, and you should question yourself as to why you're really unique and why you should do this. Right? Is that the only growth pattern? Right? Uh, so I think you can't put the blame on OEMs of overflowing the market. They're not going to refuse a sell, right? On the same token, the OEMs need to be uh, fair to lessors and make sure that they understand, like the engine OEMs do, that we have to live 20 to 25 years with these assets, right? And so if you keep on bumping overproducing uh, to, to the market and creating a situation where lessors have to replace aircraft uh, um, every 12 years and don't really have a secondary market to place, and it creates a really, you know, a fundamental question for our industry, for the industry, right? So, um, you know, I don't think the, the uh, it's so much a COVID-related uh, issue. I think it's, uh, we need to make sure that the channel is managed properly. Uh, it's not we, it's the OEMs effectively, right? Yeah, it probably links back a little bit of that scale point, whereas if you do have some consolidation and larger players, it's logical that it's a, probably a smaller number of larger players that, that play in that channel, right? Doesn't mean others won't elsewhere. Um, can I bring you back to the point you made earlier on the environment, right? So we look at ESG with a focus on the E predominantly. Um, your thoughts on how that agenda is currently impacting aviation finance, and I, and I stress currently, right, because we know something's coming, um, but anecdotally, you chant to people, and I'm not sure over the last couple of years it's impacted their ability to debt raise or their ability to equity raise. Just curious your thoughts, particularly with new startup, the conversations you've had with your investor when they think about ESG and how it plays for an aircraft lessor. So I've got two very unique points of view there. I have had the, the pre-PIF uh, uh, Avilis uh, uh, experience and the post. Um, in the pre-experience, I would say that generally, Investors, uh, you know, as it 10 years ago, ESG were, I'm saying macro investors, right? Sort of pension funds, uh, sovereign wealth, anybody you would talk to uh, uh, and about the industry, you know, ESG was 10 years ago, obviously not, not a subject. Now it's in every discussion, our discussion here, right? Um, so clearly um, it's a matter of pool and what I mean by that is the public is pulling uh, for solutions. The financing, the, the macro financiers, the big guys, you know, pension funds, retirement funds, et cetera, uh, sovereign wealth funds are thinking about that and are, are willing to shift their allocation of capital 
towards something which makes a bit more sense, right? Or at least towards people that say they have a, they have a view on this uh, at this stage. Um, so I think that will impact over the, the long term. Frankly, some of the older generation f uh, aircraft financing, right? So it's going to be harder and harder to find debt for sort of a very good A330 or a very good 737NG or even a classic, right? Which, if you think of it, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Because we, you know, it's not very environmentally friendly to churn your aircraft every 12 years if they can relive 25 to 30 years, right? Right? If you use them properly, they should. So I think there is clearly some pressure building there, which will first impact the secondary uh, markets, uh, our ability to finance older aircraft trades, uh, which is a problem for the entire industry because the big guys uh, will need to have access to a secondary trading, healthy secondary trading markets, right? So that's something to be, uh, to, to, to think about. Um, now, what solutions do we have in front of us? As an industry, my view is that we should be able to finance efficiently old vintages of aircraft. You know, my, uh, our, sorry, um, uh, strategy is really focused on new generation aircraft because we want to build a, a portfolio that you know, grows over the next 20 years, uh, really focused on the latest generation aircraft on long-term leases. But you know, buying a classic, buying an NG, buying a, a CEO is a perfectly good financing uh, proposition. Uh, and I think that we really need to, as an industry, to find solutions around those, those assets. Right? So the only solution that I think is in front of us is the sustainable aviation fuel solution, right? Uh, and the way we at Avilise and uh, the PIF in general is thinking about this is we have a pretty unique position here, right? We, we uh, obviously uh, uh, come Saudi Arabian based. Uh, we have a lot of sun. Um, much more than here today, actually. <laughs> you didn't bring the weather with your head. It's a bit drier where we are. Um, but we have potentially access to a uh, cheaper way of creating uh, you know, uh, sustainable aviation uh, fuel. And so we're thinking about that a lot. Uh, I'm not going to go much further than this, but there is, there is clearly an opportunity, in my view, to bridge this today's technology to whatever it is the OEMs are going to produce, call it by the middle of next decade, let's see when they really come through, right? So my view is that there's at least a decade of we need to find another solution, right, before what's radically different, right? So we're spending quite a bit of time on that right now, to be honest. Yeah, and it'd be really interesting to watch, as you say, SAF being the primary building block that we're looking at uh, emissions reduction. And, and look, it's nowhere near where it needs to be. And I think it's interesting to hear, you know, as an aviation finance company, how you might look at that. And I get the PIF angle too. Um, I think it's obviously a theme we'll be coming back to a, a lot uh, in the coming years. Can I ask you in closing, Ted, you know, we've talked a lot about the opportunity side and the recovery that's there, but then a lot of the challenges that are in the market. Um, what are your optimism levels like? So as you look out into 23, what, what are they like? Look, I mean, this, I am leading an extraordinary, exciting adventure. 
Uh, it, it really is a, a time where uh, I'm building a team of, of, of young, hungry uh, Saudis that are super smart, very dedicated, <laughs> very hungry, right? Uh, and that's really part of a, a greater societal transformation of the country. And so I feel I'm part of something which is much greater than aviation leasing. Uh, we're really looking at how do we develop the, the economy, how do we develop the, the know-how of leasing in, 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 the, in the country, how do we uh, train people, how do we, f you know, uh, create a new generation of people and so <coughs> you know uh, it's it's a it, I'm not looking at my job as a pure investor you know I'm looking at this as a real architect of something that can be quite impactful both for the country but also uh, for 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 the world in in the next decade or so so very excited uh, and then you know on the business side business development side uh, there's a lot of opportunities. It's it's <laughs> pretty frankly timing is is really good. So we're we're very excited. We're very uh, uh, eager to go into 2023 and announce more deals and and do more stuff. So stay posted. Ted, on that hopeful and optimistic note, uh, I'd like to wish you and Abby Lease uh, on behalf of KPMG and Airline Economics a very successful 2023. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Thanks for the time and uh, looking forward to it.